This is Let's Get Real, the only podcast brave enough to give you the details on the good, the bad, and the ugly about real estate investing. Join your host, Sean Tiberio, as he shares the secrets and lessons he's learned over the years from investing in real estate and speaking and teaching others all over the U.S. Without further ado, let's get into today's show. Yo, yo, what's going on? Let's get real nation. How's everybody doing today? Bringing you another outstanding episode ready to rock and roll. Today, I had the privilege of sitting down and talking to Gino, who happens to be the co-founder of Jake and Gino, which is a multifamily real estate education company. And Gino spent some time talking about some of the the good, the bad, and the ugly when it pertains to multifamily units. Now, I know a number of you guys out there are kind of really dialed deep into the single family niche or the single family industry. But there's some of you that have started to express some interest. I get some messages from time to time through social media about more of the multifamily or commercial type real estate investing and how to handle this. And what's cool about Gino and his partner, Jake, is they've grown their portfolio now to up over 1,400 multifamily units. Think about that for a second. 1,400 multifamily units. And together, Jake and Gino, uh, they manage this. They they run this. They're constantly adding more portfolios. And we kind of talked about their progression and, and how they were able to stem from their, their background and get into it. Uh, and it's really all built on this framework of buy right, manage right, and finance right, which is ultimately the number one key to success when it comes to passive properties. When we buy them right, when they're managed right, and when we got them financed right, man, can they be cash cows. Now, Gino's also a best-selling author. He's got two different books out there. And probably the most important shocking uh, stat about him, and it was cool to kind of talk a little bit to him about how his family life, He's he currently resides in St. Augustine, Florida. And he's got his wife, Julia, but this was the shocking part. He's got six kids, six kids, yet he's running a real estate education company and him and his partner are consistently building that portfolio. And he's got 1400 units. And he, it was funny how he kind of referred to raising the kids kind of like doing multifamily units. It's like, once you, once you learn how to do it once, uh, it's super easy to systemize it and just keep going. And, and he feels like he should have a whole lot more than, than six kids, uh, after, after raising these six now, uh, and kind of using the same kind of methodology or kind of mindset, so to say, as he did with the multifamily. So today we're going to dive deep into the multifamily space, sit back, get ready to relax and welcome Gino to the show. buy a few single family turnkeys and make a little cash flow and but at the end of the day you're just gonna get burned out you're gonna freaking hate it you're be like this is not for me that's that's what happens to a lot of people if they don't figure that out absolutely right gino welcome to the show thanks for joining us here today how's uh how's the beautiful weather down there in saint augustine 
It is currently really nice, Sean, but we got something barreling towards us, I think. So I'm hoping that we can avoid that. If not, we just hunker down and we, we pray that we don't get nailed too hard, right? Yeah, I was uh, I actually was reading something about that earlier today, and uh, it uh, it's it's looking like it might push a little bit. And I, it's always that that fun time of year in Florida, the the hurricane season, wondering where it's going to hit and when, right? Yes, but <laughs> saying that, I will take this over New York any day of the week because I lived in New York the first forty seven years of my life, and I decided to pick up and leave two years ago. It didn't. I didn't just decide two years ago. I actually put a plan in place. Took three years to do it. And uh, I moved down here two years ago. And the reason why I moved down here is the people are great. The weather's great. There's opportunities down here. The cost of living is great. Look at the demographics. The taxes are great down here. So there's a whole plethora of ideas. And I just want to give it to your, your listeners out there that look at what's going on with the demographic shift in this country. And there are people moving. And when the recession hits, I think it's going to be even more exacerbated because it's going to be much more expensive to live up in the Northeast and in the West Coast. And people are migrating to the South and the Southeast and also parts of the West Coast. So it's important that people take a look at a big, big overview of what's going on demographic-wise. There's a, there's a book that I've just read about two months ago and we're having on, on, the, on the podcast. It's called Big Shifts Ahead. It's with uh, Chris Porter. And it's an amazing book that details decade by decade, whether they're millennials, whether they're Gen X, baby boomers, they break it down by decades. And if you really read the book and you see what's going on, it's almost a tale of what's going on into the future. And talking about multifamily, talking about the 78 million baby boomers, 79 million uh, millennials, that's the base of people who are renting right now. They've taken so many single family homes off the market since the Great Recession in 08. They've turned them into rental units. And to be honest with you, if I was a millennial or if I was, I was something a baby when we're retiring i don't want to own a house anymore there's not much equity in it we're at the height of the market we have to take care of these homes i'd rather have the flexibility to move in a house you know single family house that you that you play in that space or a multifamily apartment and just rent and be able to leave whenever i want not worry about fixing you know the leaking air conditioning unit or cutting the grass so I, I would tell you listeners go grab that book and read it and it'll give you ideas of whatever business you're in how you can leverage it for instance the immigrants that we're having come into this country you know that really the immigrants uh, they're the ones who like to rent more so they they are driving that apartment space we also have women who are graduating i think 58 percent of all degrees are going to women so if you're in a business that targets women women are going to have more disposable income coming into them so take a look at all these things and see how you can apply it to your business and that's why i'm bullish and i have been bullish on multifamily and i think long term with the affordable housing crisis we have we play in the b and c space so we serve those tenants so just pick up that book and start reading it's, it's an awesome read I couldn't agree with you more on the whole not wanting to own and, and deciding to rent. Um, my father actually did this almost 13 years ago, and I never understood it mm -hmm. until 2012 when I really started getting heavy into real estate and, and paying attention to the market from a different angle. And I, I, I love the idea of just living where I want to live. And when I'm ready to move, I can just move. So <laughs> I agree. I and listen, for everybody, it's different. I've got six children, as you just found out. And I don't have that luxury of saying, let me rent the house. I did when I moved down to Florida for six or eight months. But then I said, let me plant my flag. But I had the financial wherewithal and the financial means to buy a home. But probably financially wise, it probably makes so much more sense to me to rent and to be able to move to different places. But I just wanted to create some kind of stability for my family. That's right. the main reason why I bought more than anything else. I wasn't buying for an investment. I wasn't buying for equity appreciation. I was buying for my lifestyle. So everyone out there, take a look at what's going on with yourself. If you're buying a $300,000 home, you better be putting four to $5,000 a year away at least to be fixing CapEx items. So 
if your if your principal pay down is less than that, don't think you're gonna you're you're making out because I don't I don't see in ten or fifteen years these houses being worth that much more because ten years ago the house that I'm in right now is more expensive than it was is, is I'm sorry ten years ago is more expensive than what it is now so it hasn't caught up to where it was ten years ago in certain markets it has but a lot of markets it hasn't so don't buy a home because it's an investment buy a home because it's somewhere you want to plant your flag and, and create those memories um, with your family don't make it an emotional buy make it something that's going to make sense for you enjoy it but don't look at it as your primary investment does that make sense totally totally and it kind of leads me into into this question so when we look at real estate right there's there's a ton of different facets that go into real estate investing it could be single family homes it could be um you know storage units it could be commercial space whether it's strip plazas or whatever the case and then obviously the multifamily space where you primarily focus in what drove you to the multifamily side of real estate investing? Mine was very simple, Sean. I had a restaurant. I opened back in 1994. I had it with my family. I loved it. It was great for the first 15 years. Great recession comes in 08. And I'm like, I need to make more money. I've got a big family. I need to pay the bills. I don't want to fix and flip because that's another job. So in New York, I started to try to accumulate mixed-use properties. I tried to accumulate fourplexes, and the numbers just didn't work up there. So I said, I need to buy something where we can do it part-time. I met Jake back in 2011. He was a pharmaceutical rep that was working and getting orders from my restaurant, the Sunshine Act comes. So his job is in jeopardy. So he's like, I'm moving to Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm getting out of New York. I want the right to work state. I want the no state income tax. I want the better weather. So he moves to Knoxville. And that was a blessing in disguise for me. So when he moves down there in 2011, I'm like, Jake, these numbers work. 30 a door getting 600 in rent. I mean, it was just drooling. I was drooling at these numbers. So I did that because I wanted to do something quote unquote part time to make a little extra money. So our first deal was a 25 unit deal. It took us 18 months to get into it. I needed to get mentored. I had coaching. I went through the whole thing, but that's one of the main reasons why multifamily, and we had touched on it sooner earlier, me and you, it, it really multifamily, the, what really is the decisive factor to become successful in that, or whether you're flipping homes or whether you're buying single family, you have to view it as a business. And I didn't view my restaurant as a business. Unfortunately, it was a hard business to scale. If you look at all the restaurants out there that are scalable, they've got crappy food for the most part. I, you know, I had pride. My father came from Italy. We make a, make an awesome pizza. I mean, it's just, I couldn't replicate that on a scale that I can with multifamily. I can buy 25 units and then I can buy 50 units and I can continue to scale. And, you know, in the last six years, we've, we've, we've purchased a thousand units by ourselves, me, Jake, and my partner, Mike. And in the last year, we've syndicated an additional 500. So it's for a person who had one restaurant for 25 years and to be able to do this in multifamily in five years, it's not rocket science. I just realized that as you start scaling, you're able to hire more employees, you're able to get maintenance staff, you're able to get property managers, and you're out there doing other work. Also, you're underwriting more deals, you're looking at more markets, you're going out there and raising money from investors, you're getting other partners, you're building other businesses that are complementary, that are helping your multifamily, whether it's a syndication company, or it's an education company, they all filter and they all run into the multifamily. That was was exciting to me, being able to know why, you know, why I chose multifamily, I stumbled upon it out of just pure necessity. And I was lucky, but then once you look at the tax benefits that, that'll make you drool with cost segregation, the principal pay down, the appreciation by controlling the NOI and raising it, all of these facets of it was really awesome. And you know, obviously some of the things we overlook is you're actually taking these neighborhoods and these communities and actually making them better. And it's all about the customer service. Jake says he wants to be the Chick-fil-A 
of, of apartment communities. And that's important. That's part of the business. That's part of working on the customer journey with your property management company. There's all systems you can implement to scale the business. And that's what really drove me to multifamily. Awesome. Uh, I, I mean, love, and I was, um, I was laughing when you said that Jake wants to become the, the Chick-fil-A of the, the property management world, because it's, most people have a, a kind of a negative outlook on property managers. They just think of the, the slumlords. They think of the, the Nazis or the people that are just never going to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, handle anything for us or help us out. So just by taking that, that one approach, you, it, it's like you're changing the direction of what property management can look like. And, that, and you guys, you know, it's, it's in your business and, and it'll eventually stem because I know you coach and you, you work with other investors and that's going to feed in uh, to it. Let me ask you this. When, it, when we look at the multifamily space, whether good or bad, what's something that you see changing? I mean, 14 plus so almost 1500 doors now. You've been in the space a little bit of time and you've done enough deals. What's changing in this compared to where it was when you guys got started? The residents, I mean, it's their homes. Just having that mind shift of, under, of serving the underserved C-space will keep the retention. I think people uh, often think that tenants leave because the rent is too high or because they don't have the amenities. No, damn it, they leave because you didn't fix their oven. Okay, that's the bottom line. And if you don't have systems in place to create part of that customer journey when you onboard a, a resident and you make sure that unit is turned and you ask them how the turn went and you have a welcome basket there and you maybe send out a text saying welcome and maybe you can send out a you know handwritten thank you card and make them feel like they're part of a community. Any business, that's what Chick-fil-A does. I mean, you see great stories all the time. They get a lot of negative publicity about their stances. But if you really drill down into what their business is all about, their business is about empowering their employees and their employees are you know making 12 to 15 bucks an hour so they figured it out they created a culture and that's what we're trying to do with our company especially with the jake and gino because we're serving uh students out there and we want them to be part of a really empowered community to give them the education and the knowledge now as far as your other question of what's changing i think uh ai artificial intelligence is going to really revolutionize it especially in the higher assets where the you know the a's where they where they got those thermostats with the nests and they have those you know when you walk in into uh, the units, they're all computerized with you know the keyless entry locks and all that. That's really high up in the A space. Is that going to fit on to the lower space? I'm not sure. There's might be a trade-off on that, but I think really delivering superior customer service. If you can do that in this business and look at it as a business and look at those people as tenants, and you have to understand, put yourself in their shoes. They had a rough day. They came home. The air conditioner doesn't work. They want to bitch and moan to somebody. They're going to do that to your property manager. Your property manager is overwhelmed. You have to be able to treat, treat uh, you know, have to be able to, um, uh, work with your property manager and actually give them the tools to be able to take a lot of that abuse. But at the same time, just listen to the, the tenant, let them vent what's going on and then resolve the situation. Don't put your head in the sand. If it takes you two days to get an AC person out there, let them know that maybe put them up in a hotel room for one night, but let them know you're working on the situation. Don't run away from it. I think that's what a lot of property managers, you know, fall into. It's a hard business. It's almost like, you know, having a utility company. Nope. 
nobody thinks about utility companies until the power goes out. And it's the same thing with property management. Nothing is not everything's okay until something happens in unit. Then all hell breaks loose, and you have to start putting out fires. Try not to put out those fires. Try to be proactive with uh, with your business. Does that make sense? Hundred percent. I love what you're saying there. It's um, you know you and I were talking before we we really got going into the episode here. We built a, a property management company. We're in the process of selling that now, and that was the that's actually why the uh, the competitor of ours is is trying to buy us up because we embraced the technology. We embrace when you think about the demographic of renters right now, primarily, especially for someone like yourself who's dabbling and playing in the in this multifamily facet. The majority of them are are younger professionals, the the mm-hmm. millennials, right? And they're so used to, you know, thanks to Amazon, thanks to all the other, uh, what I call instant gratification companies, they're so used to being able to get what they want when they want it. And mm-hmm. when, well, use your example, they come home and you aren't uh, embracing something like that. You're not treating your, your portfolio like a business and they come home and the AC is not working and it takes them forever to get in touch with you. It takes them way too much time to get an answer from you, it creates an issue. It creates, Mm -hmm. and kind of like you said, you become reactive in that case instead of being proactive uh, from the front end. So with that, let's take a step way back here. And you've got a brand new investor. You guys coach, so it could be even one of your own students. Brand new, just getting started. They... They're looking at the apartment space as a, as a viable option for them. They're not really sure how to get their feet in the door and get going. What's some words of advice or what would, what would you tell that person if they were standing in front of you this exact moment? Wow. So if you give me a minute or two to expand upon that, I think the important thing is um, I, I love the book written by James Clear, Atomic Habits. I think everyone should read that book. It's an amazing way to think about goals and setting up processes to reach those goals. When people come, they have the idea of becoming financially free or buying their first multifamily. That, that is a daunting task. You know, I always tell people, how long did you go to college for? If you went to college for four years and got a degree, you need to give yourself a little bit of time to learn a multifamily space. But if they're coming to me and they've joined the Jake and Gino community, the first thing I always tell them is the environment is truly important. When I was working at the restaurant, I was surrounded by people making low income wages, 12 to $15 an hour. And that's where I was, right? I wasn't attracting what I wanted. I was attracting what I was at the point until I started going to masterminds, until I started, you know, working with Jake and then working with these others, they lifted my, they lifted, you know, my, basically my state. That was really important. That's what the Jake Congenial community does to investors and people coming on board. They have a, a platform or place to actually talk, network, and really learn. The next thing I just tell people to do is the first thing you need to do as a multifamily investor is really learn, but then there's a few steps that I think everyone should take when they get into multifamily. Focus on the market. That's the first thing everyone needs to do. I mean, focus is follow one course until successful, whether that's investing in multifamily, investing in single family, really pick your niche and really own it. Don't be jumping around just because somebody said gas and oil is great because you've got some great depreciation, you've got some great tax write-offs. That's what you want to do. Go learn it. You really need to learn multifamily. It took Jake and I 18 months to get our first deal, and I was coached. And I bought back in 13 when there were quote unquote deals. You know, that was part of the market cycle where there were no deals. There was no money, 
there or the economy sucked. Everything else was bad, but there were deals. So, I mean, it's never the right or wrong time to buy. If you're buying now, it's probably a good time because if you need 12 to 18 months to buy, it'll give you time to select your market, which is really important. Focus on one. Really learn the market, the job growth, the population growth, the number of employers there, the population that's there, the migration, the absorption, the delivery of units that's going on. Figure out what's going on. And then, like we'd spoken offline, figure out the submarkets because just because I'm in Jacksonville, submarket of Jacksonville, just because Jacksonville might have a five cap for the entire city, find out where in Jacksonville there's so many submarkets, there's nine or 10. Find out where you want to go. That's the first thing is really to select that market. The next thing is just to dive in there and start opting into broker's lists. Start getting offering memorandums sent into your inbox and start reviewing those offering memorandums and start looking at what prices are, how what the expenses are to run these properties. That's important. Next thing. The third thing is just start underwriting deals. You need to learn how to underwrite. That's an important thing. If you don't like it, after you've gotten a couple of deals, maybe you partner with somebody who loves to underwrite. But in the beginning, you need to understand what the numbers are because multifamilies is all about the numbers and it's a business. Once you start doing that, you need to start reaching out to brokers and start making connections, build a rapport, start flying out to that market if it's in your backyard even but you need to start getting that deal flow by meeting those brokers by talking to the property managers by talking to the inspectors in the market by talking to anybody who's in that market and as you can see sean there's a lot of processes that go in place most people quit by day 30 because it's too overwhelming but if they take their time they chunk it down it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's going to take you a little while to learn all of these steps. And there's multiple, multiple more steps that go on. We've laid it out into a home study guide where we have accountability coaches where you need to be held accountable because things you will, things will be hard. If you don't have a big enough why, you're not going to figure out how. You're going to, you're going to drop off. My why was strong enough because I had enough pain from working at the restaurant. So I said to myself, I'm going to stick into this no matter what. I'm going to make as many mistakes as I can because I've already made them. I'm going to continue to progress on. But there's the basic framework of how to really get into a market, find your first deal, and start getting deal flow. And then obviously, go to as many live events as you can, talk to as many people as you can, go to as many meetups as you can, start a podcast, uh, uh, you know, go to your own, create your own meetup. Um, you just need to get out there and you need to let people know what you're doing because you'll never know who's sitting next to you who might have a half million dollars in an IRA account, might want to invest with you. You will never know that. It will never come up unless you tell people what you know. I mean, that is like money right there. It's it's probably my number one pet peeve, uh, even with the clients that, that I coach. And the analogy that you used, it takes you four years to get a degree at a university, yet mm -hmm. people get into this, into, into just flat out real estate in general, whether it's single family, multifamily, wherever. And they think, and I personally, I believe it's because there's too many gurus out there preaching that you could just get in this business and, and make a million dollars in, you know, in a blink of an eye and you can right with the right deal, but it doesn't just happen overnight. Nope. And uh, I, I love that analogy of four years to get a degree. Don't expect something like this uh, to, to happen out there. And those of you that are listening, I mean, think of that for a second. What, what Gina just talked about, it took them 18 months to get the first deal when you got that first one done, how quick did it start to like the snowball effect in a sense from there? That's the million dollar question. I, I love that you mentioned that. The reason why it took 18 months is because we didn't have the network. We didn't know the brokers. We actually found this deal on LoopNet that was brought by a broker. So we bought the deal in February of 2013. July of 2013, we closed on a 36-unit deal. It was four months later. And how that happened is because I actually had a client from the restaurant. I had my 
my pizza jacket on. I had sauce all over it. And I'm talking to my, my current partner now, who is a commodities trader. And we start talking about China. We start talking about oil. We start talking about gold. He's a hedge. He's a commodities trader. And I was ready. I was lucky, but I was ready. And I said to him, we're looking at this 36 unit deal. You want to be a partner with us? And he said, sure. Cause he didn't understand it. He was buying single family homes up in the Northeast in Connecticut for a million nine and trying to rent them out for 10,000 a month. It wasn't working. You know, I mean, he had all equity, but he just saw that model didn't work. I start talking to him about rubs and start talking to him about the NOI. And if he buy this for 10,000 a month in income, we get it up to 19,000 a month. We can refine roll this. I was overwhelming him, but he understood the concepts. He jumped on board. We bought that deal four months later. Six months after that second deal, our third deal came in February of 2014 with 136 units. He helped us because he had a strong balance sheet. We had the plan in place. That's why you think big. You start small. You have a proof of concept. You know how to turn units. You know how to do whatever. If you want to start with 136 units, you can. I'm not telling you not to. It's just for us. It's, I can see for the majority of people out there, it's so daunting to think of something like that. We bought this third property. We had uh, only six units under our belt. We had two resident managers. Managers. We were able to hire two property managers and two full-time maintenance staff. We bought that third property. It was 80% occupied. We were able to turn uh, the, all those units within the next six months. We had up to 95% occupied. We had the income from 55000 a month all the way up to 85000 a month. Within eight months, we were able to refi that. But if we didn't have those first two properties, we wouldn't have been able to do it on our third property. So whether you start with a fourplex, whether you start with a 10-unit, whatever it is, just start, make sure it's a great deal. And then once that happens, we were able to create something that we call a credibility book. It's basically a book that gives us our business plan. We put in our properties, we put in the demographics of the market, and it's really you hand this business plan or this credibility book over to a broker, over to a partner, over to an investor, they see it. And I will guarantee you, 99% of the people are not doing this. So you're completely prepared and you look professional and it'll be so much easier for you to get a deal. And once people know you've closed that one deal or that you're a closer, they're going to come back to you and they're going to feel like they're going to want to close with you. Because you know, Sean, the, the, I guess what brokers want more than anything else is they want you to close on a deal. If you say you're going to close and you don't close, they're not coming back to you the next time. Uh, I, I, I sum it up all the time and say, this is a, re, uh, a relationship business. And I yeah, nailed it when you said it was the relationships, knowing the right people at the beginning to get to that mm -hmm. first deal. Once you landed that, and then from there, it's, it's all about action, right? When you yeah. actually follow through and do what you say you're going to do, and it's probably an area we could probably do a whole show just on <laughs> inaction yep. of investors, because there's a ton of them out there uh, that, that don't do what they say, but when you, well, when you Sean, that's when you close, right? But that, that's the important part. That's why it's important to have a partner or important to have a community like Jake and Gina where you can find a partner there or an accountability group. Those people are going to hold you accountable. If I don't call the broker tomorrow. We're actually closing on a deal in Lexington today, 150 units. It's our third syndication. And Jake and my partner, Dylan, have been working tirelessly for the last three days on the um, insurance. We, we're trying to get flood insurance. They're quoting us 25 grand. We weren't going to close. They got the price down to $9,000. Now there's a repair credit that we're supposed to get a credit, not off the price. They're working tirelessly. That's what partners do because they're putting food on my table and I'm putting food on their table. So this is my fourth recording of a podcast today. I'm doing this because I have to be called accountable to my partners. They're working hard and I'm working hard and that's how it is. And if you can't do that, please don't leave your W2 job because it's awesome working for yourself. But there are some times when you don't want to do something, but if you have your partner doing it and you're slacking off, you, you cannot be in that partnership. You have to hold yourself accountable. It's value-based decision-making. It's this, You have to have the same culture. You have to have the same work ethic because it 
if you don't have the work ethic that your partner does, that partnership is eventually going to blow up because one of them is going to say, I'm doing more work and the other one's not doing enough work. So if you ever enter into a partnership, make sure you have the same culture, make sure you have the same uh, core values and the same value-based decision-making and you work your butts off, both you or three or whoever, how many partners you have. I could not agree with you more. I've, I've had my fair share of failed partnerships. So, I, I, And when you look at it at the end of the day, it, it, it boiled down to the all parties involved were not on the same sheet of music uh, out of the start, which That's right. equals a, a mess. So real quick, before we, uh, before we wrap down, uh, I'm sure you're just like myself and, and another a number of other investors out there there's areas around investing. There's areas around the, the niche that we're each in that we don't necessarily uh, like about the, the industry. Sometimes it's people, sometimes it's laws, sometimes it's just uh, you know, nuances of it. What is, what is something about the multifamily space that maybe you're not fond of, you don't care for, you wish that you'd, uh, you'd see some changes in or whatever the case is? There's a couple. I can give you a couple real quick. I think number one is the competition. There's a lot of competition right now. Everyone's trying to take down deals and everyone's got a lot of 1031 money and there's a lot of foreign money coming in and they're just bidding up these assets like to unrealistic numbers. Now, the the the, the fact that interest rates, we just locked on this deal that tomorrow, it's their three point, we got a 10 year term on this deal, five years of interest only at 3.52%. That's going to make a lot of deals work. But unfortunately, they just so bit up in the competition in there. The people are not making wise decisions. And they're going to, I think they're going to hurt the industry going long term because a lot of these assets are going to come back on that they're overpaying. I think the second thing is I, I'm not particularly fond of the property management side of it sometimes because of the tenants. And and I had a bad perspective from it because I was the mom and pop landlord. I didn't have these systems that we built for RAM property management. I wish I had that. So I'm skewed on that part. Now I look to take a look a different perspective. I've become a life coach. I've, I've gone through that. And I know when someone's really yelling at me, they're not really yelling at me, they're yelling at their situation and they just want to be heard. So from that perspective, I think I was skewed, but tenants can be a little uh, grueling. And I, I think the third thing is investors, when you're raising capital, sometimes investors can be really, really difficult to work with. They have unrealistic expectations. Um, you really need to take care of them. We're transparent. We do monthly webinars with all of our syndications. Uh, so that's that's on us. We want to be able to show that you know the investors that were there with them. We put our own capital into our own deals. But I think investors can be difficult sometimes. So working on all three of those is uh, is can be tough in multifamily. Here, I thought those uh, all those reasons only existed in in my world. <laughs> so you're telling surprised. me that it's all the same thing all the way over in Jacksonville too. It really is. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure you're coding it. It's not an easy business and no business is easy because if it was easy, it wouldn't be worth doing. Having six kids is not easy, but it's freaking awesome. Um, but that's how life is. That's how business is, right? I mean, anything that's worth doing is going to be hard to do. But once you figure it out and once you create a team, once you know a reason why you're doing it, I think it makes things easier and it can become more pleasurable, more enjoyable. 100%. Well, I know you got a lot going on. You guys are closing deals today. Sounds like you got a number of podcasts that you're recording. You guys are, you know, always focusing on the next the next thing in the business. Uh, but uh, real quick, how can how can those listening stay in touch with you if they're looking to kind of go into that multifamily space? How can they get involved with you guys? What uh, what's some things that you have going on uh, that you may want to share with the listeners? Uh, there's a lot of things. Like I said, having a partner like Jake is always constantly pushing me. We just uh, finished writing a book and we're launching a book 
called The Honeybee. It's going to be out in October. It's all about creating multiple streams of revenue. It's written based on a parable, so it's an enjoyable read. But that was a project that it's it's uh, it's been been a lot of hard work, but it's it's been awesome. Um, just go on to jakeandgina.com. We've got four daily weekly podcasts. We've got a podcast. Me and my wife do a podcast called The Multifamily Zone. You know, I, I really want to inspire, and I want spouses to work together. I want families to work together. I want their children to work with their with their parents. I, I really love that aspect of it. Um, we have that on Mondays launching. Tuesdays, we have a syndication podcast. Wednesday, we do a movers and shakers podcast, which we highlight a student that's closing a deal. So that's a lot of fun. Just listen to the students close deals and their, you know, their stuck points and their challenges. And Thursday, we have the uh, Wheel of Our Profits, where we do our um, uh, weekly show with basically all about multifamily, all about gen biz, because it really is gen, gen biz, really, just creating that business. And the other thing, I guess, is October 19th and 20th, we're doing a live event. It's our it's our flagship event every year. About 600 multifamily investors are going to be uh, coming down to Orlando, the uh, Gaylord Palms, on the 19th and 20th. So if you're interested, we should have a link in the show notes if you guys want to buy tickets. If not, just reach out to me at Gino, Gino at Jake and Gino.com, and I'm always accessible. I I always love talking to people about real estate. I could talk about real estate every day. Um, you can see what it's done to my life. You can see what it's done to Sean's life. If you really embrace it and you really learn how to how to treat it like a business, it can really revolutionize your life. Absolutely. And we'll be sure to, we'll link all that stuff up down in the show notes. You guys can go down there, uh, get all of those. Feel free, reach out to myself if you're confused or not sure if a link didn't work, whatever the case is, uh, reach straight out to Gino. Uh, I want to I want to thank you again for joining us today on the Let's Get Real podcast. It's been fun. I wish we could spend a lot more time because I'm like you. I could talk about this stuff nonstop all day, pretty much every day. <laughs> yes. Uh, which which drives some people nuts in my life who aren't so much into real estate. But uh, for those that are, you guys understand what uh, Gino and I are saying here. So thanks again for for joining us, and hopefully that thing barreling down on you guys, maybe it, maybe it'll turn, go a different direction. And, and let's, let's just say it's all going to work out and be, be good. Let's thanks. That's great. Thanks Sean for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We hope you enjoyed today's show to connect with Sean, follow him on all social media at Sean Tiberio or check out his website at SeanTiberio.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and come back to check out our next episode. Until then, stay real.